take our Bibles and we're going to get right into it. I've got a little background I want to give you about the city uh, that we're studying. We're in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17 this morning. There's a portion of the sermon today uh, where I'm going to be, we're going to be going through verses a little quickly, uh, but I do want to make sure we turn there, take our time because I've been told that uh, many of you are taking notes, and I want to make sure that I'm not going too quickly. It's actually something I'm trying to work on is speak a little bit slower, because sometimes my brain gets way ahead of my mouth, and then I say things like, I'll give you an example, okay? I was recording for our uh, Bible Line channel, okay? And, and sometimes it's a good day, and we call those one-take days, where I can do the intro, I can nail all the like, comment, subscribe, share, hit that button, notification bell, go through all the stuff that I have to say about the Bible, and it's a one take, it's clean. And sometimes we only have to do like three takes, and it's one take per video. And then there's things, there's days where I say things like this. Hi, welcome to Bible Line, my name is Messi Jartinez. <laughs> and you're like, what just happened? You know? Pretty, it gets pretty rough in that studio sometimes. Those are multiple takes, and it, it, you, you know, the filming session can go from you know, 30 to 40 minutes to almost an hour and a half sometimes. But uh, I want to make sure that we take our time this morning, but I want to be respectful of your time too. I think this is a very important series. The reason why it's important is because Jesus is talking to real cities here, real churches, real ministers and it's very wonderful that we can look back on history and see what was going on in Ephesus. What was it like in Smyrna? And today we're going to look at Pergamum. It's called Pergamus in the scripture, but it's uh, more commonly known as Pergamum. How, what, what was going on in these cities? Was there anything that we can draw from it? Is there any kind of thing that Jesus mentioned that we can actually see was a real thing? Because you know, there's a lot of people that don't think that Jesus was real. There's a lot of people that think that when he died, uh, he died and he stayed dead. Well, the fact that he's speaking very specifically about things in these cities, I mean, it proves his deity. And it proves how much he knows about the culture in which the believers, the bo his body, uh, the, the church, where they're located. He knows all about it. And we can see different church ages. And we're going to be dealing with the age right now, which is after Constantine's declaration that the whole world would be Christian. And what this did was it, you know, we moved from Ephesus, the early church, which was a doctrinally sound church, but they didn't love people. They left their first love in that they started with the gospel, but they moved off of it and got into more about doctrine and rightly dividing and things like that, and they left the gospel out. And Jesus corrects them. Hey, get back to what you were first uh, drawn in with, which is Jesus is saying, that's me. That's my shed blood. That's my resurrection. Get back to that. Then we move into the next age, which was the age of persecution, in which, I mean, countless Christians died in this age, in which the church of Smyrna is written to, and they had no correction from Jesus. In fact, they were commended to stay strong and to finish strong, and those who overcome, there's a promise for you. And of course, we understand how wonderful it is at the end of each one of these addresses Jesus opens it up to anybody who wants to hear what I have said to these churches. And so we've been able to apply 
You know, from Revelation chapter 2, early on we see that we're going to, well, those who overcome are going to eat of the tree of life. We're going to be in the midst of paradise with God. And then at, in verse 11, he says, he that overcometh shall not be hurt uh, of the second death. And we talked about the difference between the first death and the second death and all those different things. And now we can see Jesus is now writing to the church at Pergamum. And this is, as the title underneath tells you, this is the compromising church. And when you understand the city that they were located in, you can see why it was so easy for them to compromise. And what compromise is, is, is it is lax on the truth. It is lax on standards. Okay, this is how we can see that in our lives today. You know, you have structure. When you're coming out of high school, you're supposed to have structure, and they, you know, they're supposedly preparing you for the world. Uh, but then you get into the world, and many times people begin to loosen their standards. Now they have their own car. Now they're able to live on their own. They're able to go and experience the world. So what does the world say is the first thing you should do when you're of age and you're 21? Well, you go to the strip clubs and you go gambling and you go drinking. And people go and do those things thinking it's a rite of passage. And they, they actually continue to bring those things into their lives to where what they thought was something they would stand for, they've actually made a compromise on and they no longer stand for that thing. And the church that we're talking to today is a body of believers who were right in the middle of a very religious cult. It was, it was just a hyperactivity ground. It was so dense with stuff. And I've got some slides I'm going to show you of early drawings and things like that of what this city would have looked like. But I want to read you a background first. So as we're going through the background, just draw your attention up there on the screens, and I'll have some pictures there for you. Pergamum, which is modern-day uh, Bergama, it laid about 55 miles north of Smyrna inland, a few miles from the Aegean coast. Now, this is, this is important because the two cities we've talked about previously, Ephesus and Smyrna, these were port cities. Okay, so we saw the beautiful port of Smyrna last week. It's modern-day Izmir today. About 200,000 people reside there. We saw Ephesus and their grand coliseum that they had where they would have a stadium, and it was well-known for the fact that someone could stand right in the middle and be able to project their voice to where all could hear. It was designed to be acoustically uh, high-tech at that time. But Ephesus was a port city, so there was a lot of trade going on. There was a lot of people coming in, selling stuff, and there's a lot of immorality going on in the introduction to religious cults. The difference here with Pergamum is it's not on the coast, it's actually inland. Okay, So if you look up here on the screen, you've got Smyrna right there. And then if you go inland, and uh, commentaries are saying it's about 55 miles uh, north, and you're going inland from the Aegean coast, you're going to get to this little city. And it's, it's literally on a hill. I mean, you've got to make sure that you uh, take effort to get there. The meaning of the name Pergamum is citadel. It also has different meanings like marriage and different things like that. The town was noteworthy for three reasons. If you're taking notes here, it was noteworthy for these three reasons. Number one, it was the center of many pagan religious cults, particularly emperor worship was more intense there than in any other surrounding city. Number two, it boasted a university with the second largest library at that time. About 200,000 books were in this library. Third, it was the leader and center of the production of parchment. So if you're produced, I mean, that would be like Silicon Valley today. You know, all the technology that comes out of Silicon Valley. I mean, we're using that technology today. It powers my iPad. It powers these projectors. 
the people who are tuning in from all over the world. Right now, they're being able to be powered by that technology. I mean, at, this, at, at their time, if you had the ability to provide literally paper for people to write on, and you had the largest library, and you had all this intellectual wisdom with all these different gods and their temples and their religious cults, boy, you were the place to go for the student. For the student to learn about the world and all the flowery things of life and these different gods, and you're going to go to Pergamum. And many people traveled there, and it was a part of uh, their, their education. The next thing I want you to see here, this is a recreation uh, by a German artist here. I want to point out just a couple of things. This is the main meeting hall, okay, so to speak. Uh, people would go there, and you'd do a lot of buying and selling. There would be a lot of discussion. There would be a lot of backdoor deals made right here. And at, this is the lower Acropolis, or, or city part. And then you would travel upwards, and the library was up here. The university was up here. Healing spas, all these different things. There, the, uh, one of the things that Pergamum was known for was their great healing spa. And this is where, at that time, it would have been considered modern medicine. This is where that modern medicine was conducted. I want to read you a couple of things about a specific character that they worshipped. I finally got his name down, Asclepius. Woo. I sat in front of Google Translate yesterday and let that thing say it 50 times to me to where I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, Asclepius. Okay? <laughs> but I want, I want you to see here, uh, this is a drawing of, like if we were to have a drone and we were to go over top of it, you could kind of see how everything was spaced out. You've got these different palaces, which are just large uh, areas, and they all have different uh, purposes. You have a theater here. Um, I had another drawing, but it just didn't, it, it was too blurry, and, and if I used it in the right size, it would be like literally the size of my thumb, so you wouldn't be able to see it. But if this is the, this uh, tan area here represents the top of the mountain, so to speak, the, the plain level, and then there's this big theater here, and you can see it went up about one, two, three stories tall, and it's one of those really sheer drops, um, if you've seen those before, and they had a bunch of people that would wait down here, and there was a temple, all right, to Dionysus, and that is the, the woman that's been popping her head up everywhere, okay, she was everywhere, she was in Ephesus, she had her camp in Smyrna, she had her place in Pergamum for sure. You can see here, there's actually a large foundational area that was set out just as a temple of a sacrifice for Zeus, I mean, that's a major area. You had shops here if you wanted to get your little, uh, you know, statues and stuff. And Jesse, they did that? Yeah, read, read, read Acts. There was a guy who specifically made those little souvenir models, and he got pretty upset because of the Christians coming in there and doing all their different Jesus discussions. And so as you continue to go around here, you see that there was a rotunda, a, and there was a sculpture in there to the dying Gaul that was a Roman god. You have a sanctuary of the river cult. This is where we're going to kind of study today. This is where Asclepius had his, his healing temple, okay? Let's, let's take a look at our uh, main dude number one today. There he is. What a handsome man, right? This is the god Asclepius. And I want you to notice something very unique about our fellow uh, guy up here. Right here, he's got a serpent, and it's on a pole. All right, now that's carried into medicine today, and this was, uh, you know, you, you, you can see the first instance of this was used by God when he instructed Moses to put the serpent on the pole and Israel would look. And you, drive, you see an ambulance drive by today, you still you see that. At one point I knew what that was called and I forgot. My uncle had told me and he's thinking right now, don't forget, but I forgot. Uh, and then, and then you, you take a look here 
and there's that pole, and there's the serpent. Oftentimes, if the city had more wealth, when they built this statue, they would actually build the statue only as a serpent. Coincidence? I mean, when you see what Jesus says today, if you're excited about end times, if you're excited about the accuracy of the Scripture, you're going to be hooting and hollering right along with me. I mean, I was studying this yesterday, and before I knew, it was like five hours had gone by. It's just, you're so deep into this to see exactly what Jesus addressed was happening in this city. And what was happening is the believers were getting on board with it. They're bringing it into the church. It ought not be that way. So as they would uh, do their ritualistic healing, they would be worshiping to this God. Okay? And he's not a God at all. It's a demonic entity uh, to get people to think that he has any kind of power over death or illness or any kind of cure. Would you be shocked if I told you today those remains are still there? What you're looking at right there is the sacred way. This is what people would walk down to get to the main area. Okay, now imagine this with much more pillars and much more ornate marble, all that different kind of stuff. It would go into here and they would go through a healing process. And you see this area right back here? They don't tell you this, but as we learned more information, that's where they would throw out the dead who were not able to be healed. Okay? Wow. Okay, notice, front door, back door. You understand what I'm Like, hello, they get them out, okay? It didn't work. We got to keep up the shenanigans. We got to keep up the parade. I want to read this to you here. I was doing a lot of research yesterday, and uh, I came across some stuff and some commentaries, and then I also came across a modern website. The last time it was updated was 2022, last month, but they had made an inscription about this place. People still travel there today to get their healing. Listen to this. Pergamum had a world-famous healing center, a pagan ritualistic temple dedicated to Asclepius, the god of healing. He was known for having, listen closely, he was known for having the power to raise people from the dead. That's what his little origin story was all about. Um, he, was, he was believed to manifest as a serpent because of how snakes shed their outer skin. Okay, we know that's a front. The reason why he looks like a serpent is because the devil is described that way. And isn't it interesting, the Antichrist is going to suffer a deadly wound and then come back. Who is the only one who came back from the dead on his own power? Who is the only one that can bring everlasting life? Do you think it's a coincidence that the devil is trying to do everything that he can to put a counterfeit up that says to do the same thing that Jesus said? Asclepius statues often depicted him with a serpent of some sort, or possibly, if the city had more wealth, an entire serpent was there in place of a human body. Here's how these temples would operate. Patients approach the healing temple via the sacred way. Okay, these are the remains of the sacred way. And it was a path that started their journey to health. I'm reading directly from this website. Who they, you know, they just made a travel this year to go see this and get healed. Okay? An underground passage led to it so that the patients went down a short flight of steps into a tunnel. Okay, now the tunnel's gone now, but you can see where those steps were. And it was believed that there was an archway right here and there were holes that would come, you know, there were holes that were drilled through so as to create this kind of, you know, light shining through the darkness and you're walking into these healing places and there would be, guess what? Prostitutes there showing themselves off, offering them to these people as an opportunity for them to get well. 
and they're beckoning to them, and they bring them in. So this is open now, but at the time it was covered. All right, so you're descending in, and now you're going to be coming into this area here. All right, here's what it says. An underground passage led to it so that the patients went down a short flight of steps into a tunnel. Cubicles were located on either side where they collected your health insurance card. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just think it's funny they said cubicles. It's like, boy. <laughs> Uh, cubicles were located on either side of the passage and patients spent the night there. So it was required for you to stay there for a night. In the morning, they would tell their dreams to the priests, commonly, and, and they, they say, today now known as doctors. Now, this, is, this is interesting. You study that word, pharmakia, and it's translated uh, in, the, in the Bible as wicked or rebellious. I'm not saying doctors that practice medicine today are practicing witchcraft, but let me say very boldly, there are doctors who are doing that. I have met two people in my life who have gone through serious health conditions, who went to a witch doctor, who pushed a plant-based diet, who pushed crystals. Did you know right now you can go to New Age stores and buy crystals that have the spirit of Asclepius infused in them? It's 2022, yet some of us are still asleep at the wheel. Some of us still think, we're all good, everything's great, we live in America. Guys, it's here. <laughs> it's here already. So in the morning, they would tell their dreams to the priests and doctors to facilitate the diagnosis of their disease. The patients then ascended to the temple, as we see here, the ruins of that temple, and, uh, which had a circular shape, so that they could walk in a never-ending procession. The pillars supporting the vaults had individual tubs for bathing. Treatments included psychotherapy, which is a translation for prostitution, massage, herbal, uh, herbal remedies, mud and bathing treatments, surgeries, and the drinking of water. Here, have some water, right? <laughs> You're fine, just have some water. Not from the hose, though. That's okay. Which were prescribed according to what the dreams the patients had experienced. It was believed that the dreams recounted a visit by the god uh, Asclepius who would heal all of their illness because he held the key to heal. Uh, to curing all illness. There was even a theater at the Asclepion. Can you imagine what that is? To entertain the patients who would often stay for weeks. All of this was done in the belief that healing was a, was a sacred art and that people's souls needed to be mended as well as their bodies. You know what? Our souls do need to be taken care of. It's not in a temple. It's not through uh, massage therapy or you know, a little inappropriate dancing and, and getting high and drinking water. <laughs> That's not how we get healing. We get healing through Jesus Christ, amen? amen? But this is where these believers were. They were living in this place. This website ends by saying, thousands of people still travel to Asclepion every year in the hopes of being healed. Tradition says that the ancient therapies based on both psychological and physical treatments were highly successful in restoring health until you died and you had to be thrown out the back, which is right here. Notice it's a very fertile area of ground. Interesting stuff, right? It's a nice background to see, okay, this is the city that we're dealing with, all right? This is not, we didn't make this up. I've got the source material here. Now let's see what Jesus says. What does he say to the believers who are right in this center? This is a hotbed for a cult, a hotbed for idol worship and, and pagan practices. Look there in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. You need to take a note here. 
If you've been paying attention, you saw in Ephesus, he gave a very specific remark about his characteristics. He said, I'm writing to you as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Then in his address to Smyrna, he said, these things write the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I believe this is a reference of his character so that the believers in Smyrna knew, I was once dead as you will die soon, but because I am alive, so will you be alive. So now he says to the compromising church, he says, this is the one who speaks, who has the sharp sword with two edges. I'm going to study that phrase. You can make a note of John 1.14, the word of the uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Look in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hold your spot here in Revelation and look in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It's not a coincidence that Jesus says what he says about himself to the church at Pergamum. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, this is not just a characteristic of the Scripture. This is the description of Jesus Christ himself, and we can see that because of what he said in verse 12 in Revelation chapter 2. When it says in John 1.14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we cross-reference that with the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You ask a Jehovah's Witness that, they've changed that to the word was a God, because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Okay, I, I believe he's God. I believe when he said, I and my Father are one, that's exactly what he meant to say. Hello? I think that's pretty clear. And you know what? For a guy like me, let's be clear. So now we have this description in Hebrews 4.12 that says, the characteristic of the word is that it's sharp like a two-edged sword, and it cuts through the things that we all think are Okay. No, here's my truth. Let's put it to the test of Scripture. Look very quickly. You can let Hebrews go and look at Isaiah chapter 11 in verse 4. You might be familiar with this, this passage. Uh, we looked at Isaiah chapter 11 when we talked about the introduction to the series about the seven spirits of the, you know, the seven spirits being the Holy Spirit. I think for reference, this is on page 723 in a church Bible, we need to read the first three verses. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, that's capital B, branch, because we believe we're talking about Jesus, shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord." And he shall not judge after the, the sight of his eyes, neither reproved after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. Now I believe this is a prophetic looking forward to Jesus Christ. He just said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12, these things to the church at Pergamum comes the one who has the two-edged sword. Now look in Revelation chapter 19. And we just saw there, and I uh, look in uh, Revelation 19 and verse 15. What we just saw there in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4 was a description of the branch that would come out of the stem of Jesse through David. 
was not going to judge uh, with his sight or with, with any kind of power and might, but he's going to judge with the things that come out of his mouth, that proceed out of his mouth. Revelation chapter 19 in verse 15 describe this about the Lord when he comes back, the second coming of the Lord. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should, rule, he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Look in verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now listen, I don't think that any of this is a coincidence that we see the mention in Isaiah 11.4 about Jesus Christ uh, giving judgment through a rod of his mouth. We saw earlier in the series in Revelation 1.16 about the two-edged sword. He holds that two-edged sword. I don't think it's an actual sword. I think it's the words that he speaks. And we see that there in verse 15, out of his mouth goeth. Now look, people would not, we're not taking that literally in that a sword comes out of his mouth. It is the words that he speaks which has power. Those words will never pass away. That's why we should respect and, and take care of our Bibles because this is not just a collection of writings of men. This is that sword. We used to do this in camp. We called it sword drills. And it was funny because you said, unsheath your swords, and all the kids would go, shing! You know, it was cute. But the thing that's being taught there is it's a biblical principle. This is the sword of the Lord. And it's important for us to understand this is how we discern truth and error. Even the people who were in Pergamum, they could do that. But Jesus, what is being taught here, you can now go back to Revelation chapter 2. We're there in verse 12. The, the teaching here that we need to understand and what Jesus is trying to communicate to this compromising church is, I am the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He is the one who will bring judgment and righteousness by the word of his mouth. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a disciplined believer in Pergamum and have that temple operating every single night? And maybe even seeing brothers and sisters in Christ come out of that temple. Or Christian believers going into study in these great libraries which are full of pagan witchcraft and idolatry. How difficult that must have been. How hard it must have been to stay faithful. Well, no one else is doing it. Why should I do it? I think the point that Jesus is going to be making here shortly is, you don't worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. Because I'm perfect. I'm the one who's going to get everything right. Please just do what I've asked you to do. And I'm coming right alongside you. I'm, I'm in this with you. Verse 13, he says this. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Can we look back at that statue? <laughs> Are you excited? I think it's pretty interesting. And I believe this is literal. I think that Satan was there in this city. I don't, I don't know if he was... I don't think he was walking around with a body and stuff like that, but he was running operations out of that location. He's the prince of the, he, he, he's the prince of, and the ruler of the power and air of the, of the earth. He has authority down here. He's doing things. He's not omnipresent, so he's not in each one of your lives. But let me tell you, the things that he pushes and promotes, they're in your homes already. You turn your TVs on and it's right there. You're going to drive home today, you're going to see some stuff advertised on billboards and, and benches that are going to be inappropriate. Oh, no, not me. You know, I'm, I'm doing everything right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sinless. Boy, come tonight. 
And we're going to learn about the measure of fellowship in 1 John. Don't be deceived. That stuff is out there. I think right now, it's my personal belief, that the devil is working presently right now preparing that Antichrist man and his false prophet. (laughs) And if you study the involvement of the Catholic Church in the disruption of the Bible, of the King James Bible's translation and stuff, there's a great book written, um, Did the Catholic Church Give Us Our Bible? It's right up my alley because 100% of it is pictures. It's like a comic book. Boy, I think I read 80 pages last night. (laughs) Amazing stuff to see how involved the Catholic Church was. Do you know when the Catholic Church came about? Right in this age. Right in this age. I love people. But let me tell you very clearly, there's a lot of wickedness going on in the Catholic Church. And I wouldn't be surprised if Satan's seat right now is right there in the Vatican City. Getting ready. You see the stuff that's coming out of there and the way that they have things structured and those particular sins that these people are found in? It's not a coincidence. Especially when you see and understand what Jesus is about to say to these people here. But here's this God that was worshipped. He was probably the second most famous God in this city Um, Zeus being number one, him being number two, and then our girl Diana being number three. So what does he say? What does Jesus say here? I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas, this is a real person that we actually have a historical account that I'm going to share with you here. Antipas was my faithful martyr, who is slain among you where Satan dwelleth. I think the ruins that we're looking at right here could have been exactly where Satan was conducting business. And here's why. I think it's, I think it's given to us in what Jesus says about this man Antipas being a martyr and then finding out who this man Antipas was. Let's look at the historical record. Antipas is said to have been a dentist and a physician. So he would have been right in line with stuff that was going on with this. He's probably a convert out of the cult of Asclepius. He probably came right out of it. He's a dentist and a physician, but the followers of Asclepius suspected that he was propagating Christianity. We know that to be true because Jesus commends him for being a faithful martyr. He died for the Lord. He was propagating Christianity secretly, and they accused him of disloyalty to Caesar. Do you see the comparison here between what what the Jewish leaders did with Jesus? They tried to get him to have a problem, not within the Jewish community, but also with the overruling government, the Romans. Boy, they did the same thing to Antipas. If he was really doing something bad, they would have been able to easily get him. But of course, they said he was disloyal to Caesar because a Christian believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the king. We looked at Polycarp in the age for Smyrna and how he was burned alive, an 80-year-old man burned alive because he would not recant and say that Caesar is Lord. Listen to how Antipas met his end. He was condemned to death and was shut up in a copper bull which was then heated until it was red hot. Interesting. Right in the same vicinity of this guy right here. 
I don't think it's outside of the reason of possibility to think that through this kind of healing, oh, we're going to bring you back from the dead, we're going to make you live forever, came this destruction of believers. And that's the first thing that the Lord mentions here. He says, I know your works, I know that you're doing well, and I, I even know this martyr that was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Could it be that he was here? Right in these little uh, pictures that we've got here. Isn't it interesting that people still go there today? Look at how well that cult has translated throughout time. It could be just some hipster guy on the internet, too, who's just trying to look for something outside of what the Bible has already said. Why do, isn't it interesting to think that this God existed or whatever? He, he was in this form and, and operating with these people. Was the devil? And through that, he was trying to rival what Jesus had already clearly said, that he was the great physician? The devil wants to do everything opposite of what the Lord has done. If you find a church, or you find a pastor, or a podcast, or a small, small group, or whatever, and they say things contrary to what the Bible has already clearly said, you can know without a shadow of a doubt right there, that is not of the Lord, that is of the devil. Period. And you've got to mark and avoid those things. Otherwise, you get into what is said in verse 14. But, Jesus says, I have a few things against thee. And he says them specifically. Number one, because thou hast there them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. There's four things that were just listed there. Now, when he says the doctrine of Balaam, this is not that the line of Balaam was preserved all the way to the city here in Pergamum. What he's saying is the same teaching that was pushed in Numbers chapter 25, and you can take note of that, that's where we see this doctrine of Balaam was promulgated. That same doctrine has creeped in to where you are. What is that doctrine? It's summarized, it's, it's uh, described in detail in Numbers chapter 25, but it can be summarized as this. In order to get Israel to stumble before God and not keep their promise to do all that the law had commanded them to do, you introduce them to foreign women who will seduce them and get them to participate in religious feasts, which included sacred prostitution. That is exactly what was the method that Balaam was going to use the Moabite people to take over Israel. And how he was going to do that is he was going to send temptation in. The men of Israel would sleep with these women. They're now a part of their culture. They bring along their practices, and their practices override what, is, what, what God has clearly said to do. That's what happened in Numbers 25. So when Jesus says, you're bringing in that same type of doctrine here, He's saying very specifically that the church that was in Pergamum, these believers, were taking part in those same ritualistic practices. Where else would something like that occur but right there in that temple? Interesting stuff. I want you to take your Bibles for a moment and look with me in Acts chapter 15 and verse 20. Hold, hold your spot there in Revelation. Acts chapter 15 and verse 20. For some reason, people have had a big problem with this passage as to say the Jerusalem council was promoting a works-based gospel. 
I wish we had time to go through this entire thing, but if you remember, uh, Pastor Freddie Coyle came in the beginning of the year, and around that time, he preached a message on James chapter 2. And instead of telling you what it didn't mean, he told you very plainly what it did mean. And he went back in the book of Acts in chapter 15, and he went through the discussion with Paul and Peter and James and all those that were there as Paul was going to go out and reach the Gentiles. There was a warning of instruction that was given. The gospel was all the same. At no point did James and the Jerusalem council say, we believe in the maintaining of the law, you believe in grace, go in peace, we will go in peace. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter 2 says, Paul had the right hand of fellowship with the Jerusalem council. You want to know what the right hand of fellowship is? It's a handshake. It's an agreement. They were in agreement with what the gospel was. There's no difference in the gospel. However, because of the temple ritualistic pagan practices that came with idol worship, there had to be instructions given to the Gentiles so they could avoid those practices and not bring them into the church. What do you think those were? Look in verse 20 of chapter 15. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Each one of those were found in the practices of the cults in Pergamum. What's the gateway? It's the fornication. People are very easy to just give up their bodies in that way. That leads to the ritualistic worship, to the eating of animals that are not properly cooked, but the blood stuff. Have you guys seen any of this stuff on uh, the Freemasons? These cults where they literally have a little crystal skull and you know, they, they, oh, they pour red wax through it as to symbolize all. Yeah, that's a symbol, but that stuff is really happening. Bloodletting was an early medical practice, thinking that that was how someone was cured. <laughs> that's how George Washington, you know, departed. <laughs> you don't feel good? Just bleed, bleed a little bit. This is a little bit of a disturbing story, but I have a friend who had a lot of problems in his youth with spiritual demonic power. And he, I don't know how many of you guys have experienced stuff like sleep paralysis. A lot of teenagers that I worked with went through this type of stuff. And I think it's because there's a gateway with media and music and it brings that stuff in and it, it, it prepares these kids to see things that are spiritual wickedness in high places. I have a friend of mine that said he was struggling very early on with depression in his life and he was sitting down in a chair, and all of a sudden he had this vision, this dream, and it was an angel that came to him presenting himself as an angel of light, and he said, hey, God wants you to be with me. Things are so bad here. God wants you to be with me. To get with me, you just have to cut up along your arm. Okay, now commonly, when people in media and stuff like that, when they're trying to portray this avenue of, of death, they go across, okay? Well, the more efficient way to do that and the more dangerous way is to go straight up the vein, okay? And that is exactly what this angel of light told my friend to do. He was eight years old, okay? That's some crazy stuff. I'm not one for the supernatural, but I'm not going to say that spiritual wickedness in high places is a lie. It's out there. All this stuff in modern movies today and in culture and in 
These, you know, these cartoons, a majority of the content that's coming out of Japan and entertainment-wise is about demons, okay? Demons are celebrated in the anime culture. This stuff is brought right in, and it's mixed with fornication. Fornication is the way that it's out. The way that the, the, the movies are illustrated, the way that things are portrayed is to get people to think about that type of activity. And what is being advised here from the Jerusalem Council is, Stay away from those things because they're going to bring shame upon the gospel. Now look what Jesus said when he said in chapter 2 of Revelation, in verse 14, and he talks about that doctrine of Balaam. It was the same thing. This is why I know without a shadow of a doubt, the gospel that was coming out of Jerusalem and the gospel that was done by Paul in his missionary journey, they were the same thing. Jesus verifies the very instructions that we're told to them to avoid. That'll make you think, right? Look at the accuracy. We've looked at three books, and they line up. We looked at things in Isaiah. We've looked at things in Revelation. We just looked at a verse in Acts. These things, they're matching up. And I don't have a tinfoil hat on. You know what I'm saying? This is not a conspiracy. This is just allowing the Word to do what it does. It's accurate. It carries truth. we got to wake up and realize... The answer to all of our problems is right here in this book. We have to wake up to that. Let me read you this very quickly. 42 million websites in a study that was conducted in 2020, 42 million are pornographic websites. Now what that means is the URL, you type it in and it leads you to a website. A website, if you think about it, is like a book. And there's pages within the book. Calvary Community Church has about, I don't know, 25 pages. You know, you can click and, and get to 25 individual pages. Bible Line has hundreds of pages with all the articles and links and contacts and all that kind of stuff. So within that 42 million websites that are all pornographic, there are over 370 million individual pages with pornographic content. That was in 2020. Between that time and the time that we're in right now, because of the pandemic and the isolation that happened, it is believed that that number has doubled. Over half of people that are in pornographic films are there against their will because they were trafficked. That is the gateway for our children. It's the gateway for how many of us got into inappropriate things. And it, it, it still continues today. That leads to all this other stuff. Well, I'm not doing that with anybody. It doesn't matter. You do it, you think about it, the Lord said, it's as, it's as if you did it. It's, it is damaging to marriages. It's damaging to young, young men specifically. And the content that's being produced is all around this kind of stuff. And certainly in this city, that was rampant. So much so that Jesus acknowledged that they were partaking in this kind of behavior. Verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There's those guys again. Boy, I'm about to blow your mind here. You ready? I already did that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the translation of Nicolaitan means to conquer the people and how I propose that is what the Catholic system has right now. You know, the Bible talks about deacons and elders. Okay? And there's a teaching elder that's a shepherd of the flock. Why is there an archbishop and a cardinal and a priest and a confessions person? 
and all those different things. It's to have control over the people. If you study the word Nicolaitan to conquer the people and the doctrine of Balaam, that word Balaam translated into the Greek is to swallow up the people. Isn't that interesting? So what, what Ephesus did was they had that doctrine and they kicked it out. That was in the first church age. Then the persecution came, the age in which the church of Smyrna is written to. People died. Then this age where we're in the church of Pergamum is where Constantine said, hey, everything's Christian. We're going to make all the pagan stuff, we're going to make it Christian. You know, this, this, this is how you can understand that when you do the math, it doesn't look like Jesus was born on December 25th. But if you trace it all the way back, you can see there's pagan practices that are going on on that very week. People are not crazy. You follow the history. You see where it leads. So it's interesting now to see that the problems that they're struggling with is that Nicolaitan doctrine is back. It, I don't know what happened to it in the second age where Smyrna was. They're probably killing the, the, the Christians, but now it's endorsed. It's in part. It's a part of the culture. And you look at when the, doc, when, when the Catholic Church was created, it is in this third century of the church, between 313 and 800 AD. I do not think that's a coincidence. And there was a problem there with Pergamum. Not only were they bringing in this sexual doctrine, this bloodletting doctrine, this God of Asclepius stuff, allowing people to be introduced to that in the body of Christ. It should not be that way. They were also caving into this Nicolaitan doctrine. And Jesus says it again. He said it over there in chapter 2 and verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He repeats it in verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. He hates that doctrine. I think it's specifically what he said over there in Matthew 23. You call nobody your master, nobody your father, but God. We serve one another. That is one of the basic tenets of Christianity. We serve one another. Selflessness. It was portrayed to us as an example in Jesus Christ. You look in 1 Peter chapter 2 and you see that. It's an example of how we're supposed to suffer. Christians are not supposed to be valiant warriors that avenge the death of other Christians. They're supposed to allow themselves to come under persecution, suffer that persecution, so that the message continues to go. At the end of the day, what is our body? What is this life if we've got a new one waiting and eternity is waiting? You have a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord in this body now. Don't compromise. Don't lean into the things that separate you from fellowship. Look what it says there in verse 16. Repent. Oh boy, all the Lord shippers get here and say, see, you got to repent to be saved. No. Do you see how in context this has nothing to do with salvation? Absolutely not. Zero. As they say in soccer games, nil. None. There's no salvific context here at all. As a matter of fact, there is a threat from the Lord in that if you don't get it together, I will come unto thee quickly 
And he said this to Ephesus. He's going to come unto them and he's going to remove them. That's over there in verse 5. He says here, I'm going to fight you against them with the sword of my mouth. Now here's where everything folds real nicely. What was the first thing that Jesus said in his address to Pergamum? Verse 12, And the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. And we talked about how that is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. That is the Bible. It's Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to fight you with my word. This will be the thing that condemns false doctrine. And isn't it sad that a majority of Christians know the least about this? This is the one thing that's under attack. People often say about Dr. Arnold, about others who prefer the King James Bible, oh, you guys are just, you know, people don't understand that. People don't get it anymore. We've got to move past it. Then I'm just going to offer to you, I'm going to offer to you, if you're really a diligent student, I want you to see how those translations came about. Go study copyright law and see how we can get a new translation every two or three years. 10% of it has to be changed. Go study how the new international version has come about. Look at the scriptures that are removed from that, from that Bible. Well, you're just mean. I'm mean because I'm pointing out the satanic patterns. Well, you can call me mean, but you're delusional. <laughs> We've got to be careful. We have got to be careful that we don't allow this type of doctrine to come in. Why? Do you, if, if you think... Follow my logic here. If in Pergamum there was a place with a God who could heal people and raise them from the dead, why do you think it would be any different that the devil would go after the translation of the Bible today? If he can get this changed, then he can change what God said. And if he can do that, he can make God say whatever he wants him to say. You go study some of these Bibles. There's one called The Message. Literally, they got Jesus saying things like dude and bro and that's wicked awesome and stuff like, oh, we got to reach the kids. You reach the kids just as they were told in, in, in Deuteronomy. You teach them the word at their downsitting, at their uprising. They repeat it. They understand it. They see mom and dad do it. They're going to learn how to do it. No, we got to make it fun for them. You make it fun by showing them how much it means to you. The iPad doesn't replace that. The TV shows should not replace that. We've got to be careful that we're not allowing the devil to raise our children. Amen. And that's what's happening. You've got, we have to, I think it's already too late. I think it's already too late. But we've got, to, we've got to reach the kids that we have now. That ranch program is a matter of spiritual life and death for these kids. Those kids come in there, they have no idea who Moses is, no idea who Abraham is. They might understand Jesus Christ, but they don't understand what he did. The Awana program, it's the hardest program to get off the ground. Why? Because Awana requires the parents to support the kids. Sadly, the kids get dropped off and the parents leave. What does that tell you to your kids? This is just daycare. This is something that we do. This is the first, church is the first thing that is removed outside of family fellowship. It's the first thing to go. It's on the chopping block. We do this if we can. I tithe when I can. 
I pray when I can. That's all demonic. The word condemns that kind of behavior. And the threat that was made to Pergamum here came to pass. We do not have time, but I'm going to give you these scriptures here. Look, uh, you, you know what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for, uh, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness to make the man of God mature. Believers must be able to rightly divide the word as to avoid those who twist the word to their own gain. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A devotional should not be what you lean on to give you strength. Know the word. You've got it. There's an average of two and a half Bibles in, a household, in the households of America. Pick one up. Jude 1, 3 through 4. Boy, I, I do want to look at that. Look in Jude very quickly. Because it's just right there. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Here's the danger that's present when we get away from the word. That's what was happening in Pergamum. That's what was going to condemn them. Not to hell, but as being unable to rightly divide the word. Verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend, defend, not, we're not trying to earn our salvation, contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this con uh, condemnation. Ungodly men. Oh, but they look godly turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. This is the license to sin. I know it's hard to get here on Sunday nights, but I really want to encourage you to be paying attention over this next several weeks. This, these teachings in the book of John talk about what fellowship truly is. And a license to sin is a breaking of a rule that is in 1 John chapter 1. And that's what people are promoting. It doesn't matter what you do. It's not really sin. You call God a liar when you say that. Look at what it says. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look there very closely in verses 12 through 13. These, those kind of men, are spots in your feast of charity. You pick up a bread, uh, a piece of bread, and you see it mold on it. You don't go, yes, let's eat it. That's a bad thing. That's a mark that something is decaying. It's to be gotten out. You wouldn't give that to your kids. But we sit them down in front of Netflix and we let the world tell them what's right and wrong. That's a shame. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. If you're someone who's looking for rain and you see a lot of clouds on the horizon, you're thinking, yes, I'm going to be able to water my crops. And it has no rain. It offers you nothing. It's deceptive. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea. Boy, does the Scripture have a way of describing false doctrine and people who teach it. <coughs> raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. These are the people that as Christians we say, let's get on board. Let's hitch onto that wagon. we got to be careful of that. 
You are able to avoid those things by rightly dividing the word of truth. Become an educated person on what God says, and you'll be able to avoid these types of things. The reason why I get excited about this kind of stuff is because I know there's people here today that have already made that decision. You've already said we're going to stand on the word of God. This church has been around for 50 plus years and it stood on the word of God and it's going to continue to stand on the word of God no matter what attacks may weather it because that's what's going to last forever. His word. And what we see in Jesus Christ is life everlasting. It's freedom from this body. It's deliverance from sin. And that's just three things. There's 50 others that we can see in Scripture. Why would we want to depart for that for the sake of reaching our culture? Our culture has the same problems that people had thousands of years ago that walked with Jesus. And he provided what they needed. That rich young ruler had everything at his disposal, yet he still didn't get it. Look in uh, Revelation chapter 2. We'll conclude here in verse 17. he that hath an ear to hear let him hear this is to everybody now what the spirit saith to the churches to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth I'm going to read you here uh, a passage in John chapter 6 this is what I believe is referred to when it says the hidden manna. Okay, there's not some hidden manna that you got to find and eat and everything will be great. I believe this hidden manna is talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Why is it hidden? Because the world doesn't understand it. That's why it's hidden. And to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, you now get to partake of the hidden manna, the fellowship with him. I'll read you these verses here in John chapter 6 and verses 48 through 51. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And he went to that cross of Calvary and he was beaten and he was bruised and he was battered and he, he became sin for us. He took our iniquities on him. And those who believe have tasted of that bread and they will live forever with him. And that is hidden from the world because that is the solution that the world doesn't want to teach. It's not a new president. It's not a new governor. It's not a new medicine. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. We've got to be careful that we don't look to those other things to solve our problems. The persecution is coming. It is coming. Get ready. By feasting on that hidden manna, know Jesus. Have sweet fellowship with him. And, and, and to the people who might be hearing this in the tribulation period after we're gone, you will suffer and lose your life. But it will not be for nothing. You will receive a crown. All of us will receive a new name. I believe that's what that means there in Revelation chapter 2. That we're all going to get a nice little stone. And it's going to be ours. And we're not going to worship the stone or anything like that, but it's going to be a new name that the Lord has for us and just for us. That is so much better than temporary bliss here now. And I want to encourage you, the things that we can learn 
Remember the threefold application? One fold was to the literal church in Pergamum. The second fold is to the church of that age. And then the third fold is to the believer today. Here's the three things to part with. Compromise starts with a departure from the Bible and leads to an inclusion of pagan practices. Two, Jesus is the source of the church's protection and its growth into maturity. Do not depart from him. And number three, Jesus will bring righteousness and judgment from the word of his mouth. Learn his word. I think that sums it up nicely. You can close your Bibles. Boy, aren't we living in exciting times where we can study this. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to talk about Thyatira and talk about this, the issues that they had. We'll study their city. We'll study their age, just like we've been doing. We're halfway through, okay? I know this, this, is, a, this is one of the longer series that I've done, but I think it's important that it's, that it's done. Because if you can see what Jesus said to these real places, you're going to be able to spot when that stuff creeps into your life. And look, if it creeps into your life, that's not because you're some bad person. It's everywhere today. It's everywhere today. I'm hearing stuff out of the Boston medical clinics that are advising parents how to take care of their kids who are in a different body. Oh, if your little boy says they want to try on clothes, you, mom, you, dad, you just be supportive. No. Oh, well, I'm going to be a girl one day. You're a boy. Are we now going to just allow the kids to rule the world? <laughs> Boy, <laughs> the next thing you know, they're going to be driving. Isn't it interesting? And you know what's coming next? The age of consent. Because if kids can choose what gender they are when they're three, oh, they can choose who their partners are too. Oh, now, now they're not called pedophiles. They're, that's inappropriate. That's minor attractive persons. No, they're a pedophile. And guess what's happening? That's, bringing, that's being brought into culture. It's being, you look at some of the stuff that's being talked about in Congress and on, on, on floors in uh, states' houses of government, and you say, what in the world is going on? You know why? Because here's us. We're asleep. We're asleep to the things that are happening, and if we're not careful, these things are going to come into our house. In Canada, there's a couple that was arrested. A grown couple that was arrested because their minor child was denied their sex change operations by then. The, 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 the government came and took those parents out of the home. That's just north of us. It, it's all good, man. This is why we got to know the gospel and give it. It is the only solution for people. We don't need to change humanity. Humanity can't be changed. We need a whole new nature, amen? We need payment for sin. Listen, this hand to represent you and me, my wallet to represent sin, I'll put this on top of my hand because the Bible says for all of sinning comes short of the glory of God. God, he loves us, but he hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like him, but we're not. We all fall short. That's what that means, to fall short. We miss the mark. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. Note, the wages of sin is not good works. It's not trying your best, giving money, water baptism. None of those things save. The wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. Someone's blood has to be shed. 
It's not of works lest any man should boast. The person who is able to save themselves can stand right alongside Jesus Christ and said, yeah, me too. I don't want to be close to that person. Kaboom, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm a lightning fan, but not that kind of lightning. This hand represents Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And 2,000 years ago, what he did is he took that sin for, for all the world, for each one of you individually and for all the world, took it, laid it upon himself, and he made a payment, and that payment was complete. He rose from the dead three days later to prove that that payment was done, and now he offers eternal life, forgiveness of sin to all those who will believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him, I like to let this hand take the sin because it's not me putting it onto him. He already took it. He's the only one that could carry it. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When my mother died of cancer back in 1998, she departed from this body and she is with the Lord. The same for my grandmother, the same for your loved ones who have passed and they've trusted in Christ. And that promise only comes because they are positionally declared righteous by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Once you are saved, you are always saved. That will never be changed. And this is the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we get to see the fullness of our salvation come to fruition. We're going to walk with him. We're going to eat with him. We're going to fellowship with him. And it's all because of what happened on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Any salvation that is outside of him is not salvation at all. It is deception by the devil, and he's been at work. He's batting a thousand since the very beginning. And we've got to reach people. We've got to move past all the sin and reach that person. They need to hear the gospel. If you hate people, you need to change your heart. That's got to change. You've got to reach people. Somebody reached you. Somebody reached me. And I'm glad that they did. Can you imagine if we all went into hiding as Christians? Oh, the world's so bad, so cover it up. <laughs> Lock the doors. Put a passcode on there. Open them up. Come as you are, but be ready to hear the truth. And the truth is, there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're here today, and I'm looking at all of you out here, and I know, I know all of you, and I understand that you know the gospel. But there's people in your lives that don't. There's people in your lives that are in stuff that this city was in. Reach them. Teach them the truth. Have the scripture committed to memory. That psalm that Jay read today, wouldn't that be great to memorize? The next time you're tempted to fall into sin, you read that psalm that you've memorized? Boy, I bet you that'll get you out of the attitude of doing wrong. Memorize his word. Consume on it. Feast on it. It is a blessing and an opportunity to us that we have it. But if you're watching on the internet and you have no idea where you're going to go when you die, right now, where you are, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone? The moment that you do, you're passed from death unto life. You'll never be brought into condemnation again. Let us pray, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If there's anybody in the audience that that made sense today, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Jesse, that makes sense, and I believe. I believe today for the first time that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and that was a satisfactory payment. Anyone at all before we close, just raise your hand and let me know. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Folks, I, I want to just encourage you. I know I get up here and I get loud and excited and all that kind of stuff, but 
Please don't let that cloud what the, what, what the truth of the Scripture is saying. We need to know the Word or else we're going to depart into error. You have a chance to study, study. You have a chance to take a class, take a class. But be active in pursuing your knowledge of the Scripture. Learn to have sweet fellowship with the Lord. Father, please bless us as we go our ways back to our families and friends and bring us back here safely for church tonight. I am so thankful for the one that indicated by a raised hand that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Today is the day of salvation, and heaven is in an uproar of joy for the one that trusted on you today. Encourage this person, Lord. Continue to bring them around sound doctrine and let us as a ministry pray for them. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.